Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is one of my regular panel, freelance writer and Steel Battalion jockey, Julian Murdoch. Oh, you had to get that in early. I can't, I keep dying. I keep having to go back to the beginning. It's so sad. Well, since the theme for tonight's episode is anachronism, I figured that you, with your <laughs> giant, you know, dual-wielding mech warrior peripheral, you know, this is a perfect time to bring that up. Okay, we'll get there. And also with us tonight... PC Gamer, Editor-in-Chief, Logan Decker has been good enough to join us. Logan, good thanks evening. for coming to the show. Thank you very much, Rob. How are you tonight? Uh, doing doing pretty damn well. Fantastic. And you, Julian? I'm just doing ducky. Yeah. Oh, ducky, no less. That's fantastic. Well, I am, I am very happy to be here with all you fine folks. Our topic tonight concerns an interview 2K President Christoph Hartman gave to MCV last week, in which he remarked that, quote, strategy games are just not contemporary. The statement is an overgeneralization, surely, but it's worth considering why he made it and whether or not he might have a point. So, Logan, we talked a bit about this on Twitter last week. What do you think Hartman is trying to say, and why do you think he felt obligated to paint in such broad strokes? Well, I, I, thought, it, I thought it was fantastic spin, and I, I'm not being snarky. I mean it. I, I, it was a great, articulate way of explaining a business decision, you know? Because, um, you know, you can't always take what a developer says at face value any more than you can take what, uh, uh, for example, an artist says at face value, because uh, the explanation is, in a sense, a part of the work itself. You know what I mean? It's uh, a part of how they position you to view it. And uh, so I think when Hartman says strategy games are not contemporary, what he's saying is uh, this is the lens through which I want you to view my work. And he makes a he makes a, a good analogy. He says that Ray Charles made great music that's just as great today, but if he were a young man, he'd be working more in the style of Kanye West. Um, and I don't have to accept his premise in order to understand what he's saying and appreciate the message he's trying to get across about why 2K has taken XCOM in the direction that it has. Right, and and that's important context. He was specifically being asked about XCOM, right? You know, beloved strategy gaming franchise, which is being resurrected, not really as a strategy game, right? And that that I think has taken people by surprise, and that was what he was being grilled on. The irony, though, is just phenomenal, right? Because you know he does have civilization under his wing. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Just this little, this little strategy franchise a few folks may have played. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things in this interview. If you actually read the whole interview, it's, it's, it's interesting, and it's, it's rare that you, you hear company presidents being this frank about stuff. And obviously, I think the reaction that that one quote got is a good, you know, explanation of why uh, the PR filter is usually locked in place between you and, uh, you know, senior executives. And there's something to be said for candor. You know, I mean. I, I the thing that the thing that bugs me about this is that, you know, in, in the full context of this, where he makes this Ray Charles comparison, which we could dig into that, too. Right. I mean, the the funny thing about that quote is as much as anything is, you know, Logan, your comment about how you, you, you need to interpret artists in the context of things they've said about their work couldn't apply to anybody in modern music more than Kanye West. Right. I mean, because he's so much larger than life that his music is almost the coda on the performance, not the performance itself. Um, and, and, you know, he's talking about XCOM, which is this, you know, this beloved strategy game. Um, and he was sort of making this point that 
Um, they're trying to be true to the values of the franchise, but they needed to renew it because times are different. And I think I get what he means, right? XCOM, in many ways, as much as I loved it, by today's standards, was actually a fairly small game, right? It, it I think we all have, I mean, I, it's been out on good old games and stuff recently. And, you know, I think we've all put a little time in here and there just for nostalgia. Um, and compared to some of the com incredibly complex strategy games that we kick around on this show, it's a pretty small game, right? In terms of the number of things that are going on, um, it's fairly straightforward. That doesn't make it easy by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely not. Um, but it's not one of these giant, blisteringly complex Grognardian slog fests that we often really lose ourselves in. The irony here is that we all love this franchise so much, and those kinds of games are getting made in spades. They're just not getting made as big budget PC games. They're getting made, they get made on iOS and they get made on Facebook, right? Right. Um, that's a that's a fantastic point because, uh, you know, I I said earlier I don't have to accept his premise in order to get what he was saying. You were saying the same thing basically, and the fact is I don't accept the premise. Like you said, I think strategy games are very very much contemporary. Uh, I think far more people are playing them today than than ever before. Um, and also we have to distinguish between what's contemporary and what's fashionable. Right. Um, I, I'd say Ray Charles is very contemporary. The, the funny thing is, is like, where in the world would Ray Charles be out of place? You could play him in an airport, at a wedding, <laughs> at a, you know, you could play him in any bar and nobody, everybody would be like, oh, great. Right. But yeah. uh, like if you were if you wanted to be super hip, you wouldn't play him then because he's not necessarily fashionable. But the verdict is still out on Kanye, as you observed just a moment ago. You know, he's a terrific artist, but. He hasn't yet stood the t test of time. So Hartman isn't really talking about what's contemporary. He's talking about what's trendy and pleasing to our senses right now to a certain audience. And, and I understand the challenge these guys faced. I mean, I'm trying to imagine sitting there, uh, you know, and I imagine this probably got dropped on a rational's lap first, right? And say, you know, you're looking at this as, hey, we got this franchise. Let's do something with it. And you're sitting there kind of like you're opening up a box trying to figure out what you're, you know, from your from your farm share, trying to figure out what you're going to cook. Right. And you're looking at this box and it's got Xbox in it and you understand all the ingredients and you've tasted really delicious things that come out of all these ingredients. But you've also got a boss who said, and we need this to be a game that sells two and a half million copies minimum or we're not going to give you the budget to make this game. So you're standing there looking in this box full of kale and you're scratching your head. <laughs> You know, and, and you kind of got two choices. You either say, well, there's a stick of butter on the bottom and I know I can go out somewhere else and buy a big old steak. And that's what we're making out of this box. Or you can say, OK, I can make kale, but it ain't going to sell two and a half million copies this time. And it's not going to be a big budget console title, because I, I imagine looking at the, the strategy genre a year or two or three ago when this was first getting developed. They're sitting there looking at the horizon and, you know, they've, they're already developing Civ at that point. Um, you know, that's well underway. They know where that franchise is going. They're looking at StarCraft II coming out and they're saying, well, geez, that's, you know, we can't really go head to head with Blizzard on that front, right? They've kind of got that whole, you know, super fast, competitive, real time thing down. What do you do with it? And really, the only answer they could have made might have been something like go Facebook with it. And that would have been a, a remarkable move, right? I, I think that would have shocked people. I think another aspect of this here is that uh, 
publishers and developers have a relationship with consoles that's uh, it's a little bit abusive and, and kind of gross. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they, they chase not at that the you're licensing. biased as the managing editor of PC <laughs> no, Gamer of magazine. Not. Of course not. <laughs> But, you know, they chafe at the licensing restrictions and the development restrictions. and uh, But at the same time, they keep going back to the consoles because developers love the standardized hardware, understandably. And publishers love the fact that consoles are essentially a big hardware DRM key that gamers actually pay for. Right. Um, so <laughs> They don't complain so about it. They give interest, you more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's in their interest to promote games that work best on those systems. And those games are not strategy games. Right. You know, so I get that. I get why, you know, he's he's like you said, he took this box and he's like, oh, God, what do we do with this? How do we sell it to the most people possible? You know, they come up with this new take on the XCOM franchise and now he's positioning it, you know, and and again, I do get that that approach. But at the same time, we, we talked a bit about this, you know, when, when this first when this quote first arose, we discussed this a bit, you know. As he's saying this, he's he's making an incredibly conservative decision. You know, he doesn't he doesn't he isn't in the business of taking risks on developing like you know, a, for lack of a better term, like a double A game. You know, that would only be available <laughs> on PC, that would only really work on PC. That's not what he does. Even though you can look at a lot of other companies that are finding good, steady return on investment. You know, very profitable games. You know, working. You know establishing themselves in a patch and you know working it and i think to an extent 2k used to be the sort of company that was that was comfortable making you know taking those kinds of risks i mean you know just a few weeks ago i played the darkness which only came out on ps3 and uh 360 but that is an that is an odd shooter you know based on sort of a niche comic series for sure and but those are the sort of decisions that 2k used to make uh you know sid meyer's pirates they they authorized a new version of that um, you know, Bioshock, I think at the time, you know, in retrospect, you know, we all see the wisdom of it, but I think at the time when, the, when they decided to support that project, that, that itself was another risk, you know, this high-concept shooter from a studio that has a tendency of making critically acclaimed games that kind of underperform. So he's, he's really, his, his job there is really just to justify, you know, why 2K has become this incredibly risk-averse company, but he sort of recast it you know, to make it sound like this is he is a man of vision. That he's you know, he's not he's not scared he's not he's not scared to try to reach you know, find a new market, to find a you know, to find another sort of business model that can sort of undergird the AAA structure. He's taking he's taking this question, you know, to explain why he why he's, you know, taking XCOM and remaking it as a shooter. But then he's also taking the opportunity to make a much larger point, which is it's not him being conservative. It's not that they you know, that the two K has walked away from you know several markets you know in the, in the time that he's been president of the company it's just that these markets don't exist or at least they don't exist in the sense that it, they don't exist in a way that is relevant to a company like 2K anymore my my question then is you know should strategy hold any interest for a company like 2K in this day and age if you are in if you are in the business of making AAA titles you know the, and you are targeting all three major platforms PC and the, and the two main consoles the two core consoles, I guess, because, you know, the Wii, it's, it sold a lot, but it, <laughs> somehow it never seems to quite come up, does it? Yeah, not a lot of big uh, strategy games on the Wii. But, so, so is strategy something that the president of 2K should, you know, be familiar with and care about? Oh, boy. I would say that um, 
unless you are are willing to really uh, uh, devote some serious vision to the project, maybe it's best to back off a little bit. You know, I, I, I I'm thinking about this story I read ages ago by uh, one of my favorite writers. His name is Stephen Milhauser, and he wrote a book called In the Penny Arcade. And the first story of in the Penny Arcade is called August Eschenberg, and it's about a young man in the 19th century who becomes obsessed with automatons, and he decides to start building automatons, and as he grows up and becomes a young man and then grows into an adult, he builds more and more sophisticated automatons that begin to do dan interpretive dances and they can play the piano, and... He starts automaton shows and they, it captures the audience's imagination and they're fascinated with it. They're intoxicated by these shows um, and they develop these huge audiences. But eventually the uh, audiences begin to drop off as he becomes more and more esoteric in his work. And he's reaching for something. He's an artist. He's reaching for something that's inevitable that he can't quite grasp onto. And as he does so, his audience begins to fall away. And somebody, a friend, is eventually trying to, uh, uh, trying to explain to him why he needs to be more commercial. And the friend says, you know, you have to admit, the day of the automaton has passed. And his response is, uh, as I conceive of it, it has not even begun. You know, that's vision when what he's saying is that uh, when I reach what I am trying to grasp, you know, it will be, it will be totally new. It will be perceived as new. Um, but not everybody can follow me on that path. You know what I mean? I know that's really kind of like abstract and hoity-toity and, and stuff like that. But but I get the, you know, but, the idea is that um, it takes somebody of amazing talent and vision to make something look and feel totally new to an yeah, audience. And, and, and sure, and, and a lot of what's exciting about games in general right now isn't coming out of the mainstream studios. Sure, we, we all get that. I think that's particularly true in PC gaming, right? I mean, some of the most interesting experiences we have are, are the stereotypical one guy in a garage projects like, mm -hmm. I don't know, Minecraft or, or, or Frozen Synapse or whatever, right? I mean, those are classic cases where it takes somebody with a weird little vision and mm -hmm. sort of a willingness to just keep pursuing it no matter how uncommercial it seems. Right. To, to bring those kinds of things to life. But, but isn't the job of these major studios to essentially become like book publishers with different imprints? I mean, that's kind of what we've seen. You know, I mean, 2K sort of does that. They've got Rockstar and they've got Irrational and they have their crap line, which is what, cat something games or whatever. No, but, but hang on, though. 2K doesn't, though, do they? I mean, because Take-Two publishes Rockstar directly. Right, it hasn't two K kind of it hasn't the Take Two family sort of bifurcated. Well, it's all the same public company, right? But uh, but I think it's, I think two K seems like it's much more in the business of getting you know getting its developers like uh, you know on the treadmill and churning product, and it seems like Take Two is a little more like, you know, if you if you can get your deal with Take Two, you get a little more leeway. You get, you get a little more. You well, know, yeah. So I mean, the creative. parent the parent is take two, and they they're so maybe we're, it's a semantic issue, right? The parent is take two. Two K Games is one of their imprints, right? Just like a big yeah. book publisher has their their little indie publisher, and the guys who make textbooks, right? And the guys who make romance novels, they all live under one big happy umbrella. But shouldn't the job of these giant publishers to be? I mean, if they're doing their job well, to essentially do that same thing where they farm teams, smaller groups, taking risks and doing more interesting work. I and mean, we see some examples of that, but 
But, you know, we look at the big acquisitions like, you know, I don't know, EA buying PopCap most recently. And I know we all sort of cringe and go like, oh, well, there goes the neighborhood. I'm not certain that the analogy is apt only because uh, games take so many resources to develop, um, at least in the eyes of a AAA publisher. So if I'm a publisher, a traditional book publisher, and I want to start a, a romance imprint or a mystery imprint, the cost is not that much you know, to, to develop the stable of writers and all that. But if I want to start a strategy business and a first person shooter, you know, imprint and all that, these are massive, massive yeah. costs. Yeah. Um, and I think what happens is that no matter how many brands you may have under a publishing label, um, the goal is still, how are we going to justify $20 million we just spent um, to make a triple A game? Um, if, if I, if I were emperor of the world and God, I hope I am someday. <laughs> um, so, you know, I will be fair, but firm. I just want everyone to know that, you know, and, and you will um, accept bribes. Well, no, I mean, I will crush dissent, you know, ah, okay. make no mistake about it. But, you know, once, if you're not one of the dissenters, you're going to live in a paradise. I guarantee it. Um, but if I were emperor, you know, I, I, I would love to see them not, I mean, just, uh, uh, nurture people like Mojang, you know, who made Minecraft and the, the folks who made uh, Frozen Synapse and the introversion guys, you know, let's pour more money into developing these smaller studios and see what kind of creativity, see what kind of new genres emerge. And you'll get a, you know, more acreage to farm. Well, but this is... I'm not a business guy, so I can't. That's very presumptuous of me to say. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is something I, I run up against a lot when I'm you know I'm talking about the industry is that fundamentally I have an outsider's perspective a gamer's perspective and how right. I would like things to work uh, and how I assume things you know could work you know may not be the case you know it could be the guys with the MBAs you know exactly what they're on about and mm -hmm. you know if it weren't for decisions like this comments like this an outlook like this uh, you know we wouldn't have a lot of the games we enjoy right, right. Uh, you know but at the same time fuck those guys uh, you know here's <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, if you said that in my kingdom, that's the kind of thing that would get you, you know, your beheaded. Get your balls cut off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe part of the problem is that the, the business models are changing so fast that there's a bit of a turtling going on, to use the strategy gamer metaphor, right? A company like Take-Two or 2K Games um, has to stick to the stuff. I mean, this, I'm sort of reiterating your point. It has to stick to the stuff it knows is going to work, right? And they kind of know how to make a console shooter, market it and sell it well, and make some money off. I mean, crap, they even sold a bajillion copies of Duke for God's sakes. Right. So, <laughs> so they, they understand the marketing game that keeps them in business. And meanwhile, around them, the whole model about how games get built, paid for and distributed seems to be changing on a daily basis. And, right. and so there, I, I sort of get the feeling that there's a, there's a, a turtling going on where they're sort of protecting the stuff they knows they know that works, and they're kind of waiting for the rest of the industry to figure it out, and then they'll just go buy them. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what right, I see at right. EA. Right, but yeah, but yeah, but in the case of EA, while that strategy plays out, they're hemorrhaging cash. I mean, to me, it looks a lot like a GM strategy, circa you know the 1970s, where mm. we're not making we're not making what people really want. We can't quite figure out. What people want from us anymore, you know, the the old ways is not delivering and it's costing us a lot of money, and we are surviving right now just because we are huge. We have massive cash cash reserves, and we can you know eat the you know eat the cost of these mistakes that we keep making over and over. But along the way, we're not really learning, 
and we're not really experimenting and trying to you know figure out how we can thrive in this new market. So we're going to keep making the same decision over over, over and over again. You know, cut cut the game that you know underperforms. You know, don't you know don't launch new IPs very often. Right. You know, those kind of decisions happen over and over again. And in the meantime, at least you know at least at least in the closed circle, like people who write about games and care passionately about them, so much of the action now is happening overseas or it's happening with small independent studios. One thing that makes me staple my mouth shut a lot of times when I start talking about other people's business models is because I know that like here at PC Gamer, we got all kinds of mail all the time uh, saying things like, you know what, if you cut your cover price in half, you'd sell twice as many, maybe more than twice as many copies. Or if you did, you know, if you did this or that, you know, I think that it would be a lot more successful. But we actually have whole departments in this building where people do nothing but make these calculations and and kind of figure out, well, what would be the best balance, you know, and that that takes place in a different area. And I'm not that sophisticated in it. And luckily, we have this sort of separation where they don't bother me and I don't bother them. You know, they're in a they do something mysterious to me. But, yeah, I do realize that there's so much more to it than I'll ever see. So that's why I kind of, I hesitate to say, okay, I think this is the way it should be done or that's the way it should be done. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I did notice that in that interview, he did say something that, that felt very dissonant uh, to me in that interview. And he had said, we would like to be the Miramax. Yes. Right? And that felt... Like I was, I was with him with everything. It didn't mean I agreed with it, but I was with him throughout the interview. And then he throws out this thing: "We'd like to be the Miramax, but you know what? Miramax spent their money on a nobody, right? And developed a a, a like. I mean, imagine. Look to us; it seems natural today because Tarantino is such a big name. But imagine it back then; it was like who." And, well, and how they, violent they, they built that whole <laughs> what, company you're not going to tell the story in order what well, it, it, the reason that's so dissonant is that you know miramax was built entirely on the back of distributing independence exactly totally exactly. the opposite of the the you know the take two activision ea model right so yeah that's, so that's, that's so that weird. really rang weird false with me you know i thought oh wait a minute you know yeah because they, like you said they they you know rolled the dice and gambled on new talent something fresh and different um well, and very much not in vogue at the time they made you know movies that defined what was contemporary at the time the, you know, I latched onto the same quote because it, it is so dissonant. Like, if you know movies, you know that every you know everything that 2K does and everything this guy's been saying doesn't really gel with that at all. And to go back to the farm team analogy, I mean, I think the mistake that you know, again, like this is sort of how I imagine publishers looking at it, but they look at they look at AAA, you know, AAA franchises, successful franchises, and they sort of take them in isolation. You know they want they want modern warfare. They want Halo. You know they want the, they want their smash hits. What mm -hmm. they don't do is place them in context. They don't consider all the games that came before. You know the game the projects that developers cut their teeth on. The places where new ideas are tried out and experimented on. They don't even consider you know the salutary effects of having your developers not doing the same thing over and over again, mm -hmm. but you know branching out and stretching themselves and whether or not that all adds up to eventually you know your lucky throw of the dice. Where suddenly you've got a blockbuster franchise that you know nobody else has because you, you know, you hooked up with this studio at the right time or you supported them through you know experimental phases. Well, like, but 
but maybe there maybe there's hope there, right? Because you know, certainly certainly you can look at what happened with Irrational and Bioshock and then Bioshock Two and now Infinite, right? And everybody sort of knows the arc that that's gone through. And that that rings a little bit like that, right? Stand behind, you know, a studio like Irrational to get their big concept title out the gate, get decent sales out of it, you know, ship the sequel off to but- other folks. But and who have that not be so great and then bring it back home? I mean, maybe that's what's going on there. I don't know. Well, right. But I mean, you know, I mean, but I, I would say then that that becomes a, a, a stronger argument for perhaps pursuing, you know, again, like the double the A title more aggressively, you know, like letting studios work outside their comfort zone, you know, authorizing more, you know, lower return project products, certainly. But, you know, just just, you know getting these games out, shipping them, as long as they're profitable, who cares? I, I think we're falling into the, the, the problem. I mean, we've, we've done this three or four times now. We're falling into this false metaphor problem, right? We've talked about books, and we've talked about uh, automatons, and we're talking about Miramax, right? And, well, and, no, hang on. And, and really, the, the cost equations are just so different, right? There's no real equivalent for a studio saying, hey, kid, here's $100,000. Go make your movie. Here's your red camera. Right, get back to us in twelve weeks, and we'll see what you put on film. Right, that there's no, you know, the end result of an experiment like that for a studio like Miramax can actually be something that's you know incredibly popular and wins the Oscar. That doesn't really happen in games. I th- I think it does though. I mean, I think if you yeah, were to look at a lot of the major studios, I mean, who was Bioware? You know, ten years ago, like I mean, who they were making D and D games. You know, crunchy hardcore ground, RPGs they, in a dead genre. Yeah, but they ground their way up, I think. That's not but, about but, all the modders that get adopted by, um, you know, like Valve. Counter, look at Counter-Strike. Well, Valve, I would argue, is the Miramax example. Ah. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Right? I mean... I just, got, I just got nailed right between the This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Take you down. know, Gabe Newell, Harvey Weinstein, they kind of look a little bit alike. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard one might be nicer. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing Gabe is a lot nicer. But um, and yeah, actually, I, you know, I mean, it's also true that uh, a lot of folks um, in the movie industry. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, there was a, a kid who made a, a short. It was a science fiction. He did all the effects himself and all that. And I guess Steven Spielberg hired him right off YouTube. Uh, because he's, he'd put his, his film up on YouTube and it was just so amazing that uh, Spielberg's company hired him to do some sort of science fiction movie. And so they're they're not necessarily investing, but they're looking for talent in these sort of like, uh, you know, grassroots environments. Right. And uh, hopefully game developers are doing the same thing. Right. But I don't think you have to look necessarily, you know, out in the wild for that kind of, you know, the next big thing. Really? I mean, I think if you're well, I mean. You know, to bring it back, you know, to 2K specifically, you know, right now, Firaxis has become the Civilization studio. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that. They, you know, mm-hmm. Firaxis, when they started, were trying lots of new things. You know, Alpha Centauri, the Gettysburg series, and even, you know, just like seven years ago, they, you know, released an updated, you know, version of Pirates. That all seems to have sort of come to an end, and now there, the Civilization Studio and 2K, you know, appears to just be having them focusing on that. And what I was sort of what I was sort of thinking as I was reading the interview with Hartman is how rough it's got to be at a studio like Veraxis, where I mean, 
God, the talent that is that has passed through that studio, uh, and the talent that is still there, and yet it is only ever manifested in this one series where the conventions are very set, right. and so you're you're very you're you know creating variations on a theme, and the result you know at this point, you know aren't you aren't you dying to know what other ideas Sid Meier has had you know in ten years you know what what games have been have been whiteboarded or prototyped that haven't seen the light of day and whether just lack of interest on 2k's part lack of you know a refusal to grant the resources and encourage experimentation and you know even even allowing for the hope that a new idea will somehow see the light of day coming out of for access that that there's a loss there not just you know definitely certainly for gamers there's a loss there but mm-hmm. i would argue there's probably a loss for 2k there as well i will take a devil's advocate position on that I will say that if that is true, if there if there are ideas out there that if Sid Meier had an idea in the last decade that really uh, was this seed that could have been nurtured and taken root into this this you know magnificent edifice, um, not that seeds turn into edifices, but if you know, but you you know you're following me here, that it needed somebody, it needed a visionary to explain to people why that game needed to be made. You know, somebody's got to back up that that idea with their reputation. Um, that's somebody. I mean, we all know, you know, who that who really the big guy is. With that is Ken Levine, right? The man can take an idea and sell it to you, and you're like, oh, I get it. Yes, I understand. Um, and you can you can just see him in boardrooms ex- explaining Bioshock, right? And everybody's like, whoa. Yeah, right. It, maybe it needs people like that to push these ideas through. And without them, maybe they couldn't be shepherd, shepherded through the incredibly agonizing process of game development. You know, I can like at PC Gamer, we've been running a print magazine for 14 years and we all know what's happening to print, right? Um, new ideas require people um, who are very articulate, very eloquent and absolutely tenacious to get them through. And the result is somebody did do that years ago, and we're going to be um, introducing a new product next month that is totally different from anything we've ever done before, or anyone else has done before for that matter. And it meant all of us, the entire staff, having to learn new skills, you know, from, from scratch, basically. And to get this big machine that's been running for 14 years to do something entirely different and new... Um, but with the, in the same spirit as PC Gamer Magazine, man, that took some shepherding. So, you know, but we did have a, a person at the helm going, this is the future. This is what we need to be. This is where we need to be. You know what I mean? Sorry, I have to be a little coy about it, but, you know, you're, we're going to be announcing the, uh, the beta very soon. But, you know, the idea is that somebody had to fight for it all the way through and if that person isn't existing if that person isn't out there fighting for these new ideas and games then maybe we're in a refractory period right well then do you th- do you think perhaps part of, part of the problem facing strategy games you know because i think because i think we know there's, there's no shortage of passion on the development side so then the question becomes why can't they make the sale why can't they you know paint the picture that uh, you know, perhaps a better salesman could, or is it, or is it, you know, in fact, not a lack of salesmanship, but just that there's no, there's no picture to paint 
for for the people who for the people who make these kinds of decisions. Uh, are there are there things inherent to strategy that make it impo- very difficult to market, uh, not just to you know suits, but to people like you and me, to to mainstream gamers that just make it really difficult to ever convince someone that there's that new products in this field have a future. I, hasn't hasn't Facebook put that to bed? I mean, say what you will about it, but you know it, it has absorbed an awful lot of the talent from the strategy game design pool. Um, I think with mixed results. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and be Pollyanna about. Uh, you know, empires and allies. Brian Reynolds' first, you know, run at things for for Zynga. Um, that is Brian's, right? I have that right. I think. Um, I think so. It, you know, it 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 definitely has mixed results. Or Soren Johnson's what he did with Dragon Age Legends, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. They're they're mixed results. Some of it's really cool. Some of it feels like a slave to a new business model and out of place. Um, but clearly, there's exploration there that's going on that is interesting. Absolutely, right? There's stuff Absolutely. that's interesting. So this this question about whether or not games are, you know, strategy is contemporary, I sort of feel like is is sideways. Part of the, I think, the real question is is AAA console strategy contemporary? And I would agree. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen strategy at the AAA console level that really, you know, floated my boat. Um, right. I mean, I, I do almost all my strategy gaming on the PC, or I do, you know, maybe quote-unquote lighter strategy on some sort of mobile device or on a browser. I think that uh, I'll sign on to that one. That that makes absolute sense to me. You know, it, it, like I said earlier, you know, this refractory period, I, I think... Um, on the one hand, you know, right now we're saying, well, where's all the development? Where are all the new ideas? But on the other hand, we could be saying in an alternate universe, oh, God, they're doing the same things over and over and over again. So maybe this is sort of a period in which we're taking that breath, taking a step back, and new ideas are waiting, you know, to burst out. And I think they are being expressed in the business sense right now by what Julian was just talking about. All that development has sort of like slid into these these Facebook and social media things. Um, and then once a few new ideas get, uh, get out there in the wild and they cross-pollinate with other ideas, and then they're picked up by somebody who's truly visionary, then we're going to see an explosion of strategy again. I think, I think we're actually in the midst of that explosion of strategy. I just can't keep up with it. I mean, nice. I, I, I mean... I, I, I mean that with only the smallest amount of tongue in cheek. I mean, I look at the work that's being, I mean, the the thing that Rob and I've been playing the crap out of lately, Panzer Corps, right? I mean, yes, mm-hmm. it's a remake of Panzer General, fine. Um, it's also brilliantly polished and extraordinarily well implemented, right? And and better mm-hmm. than any SSI game I ever played, right? So, mm-hmm. so yes, that may be very retro, um, but we've exposed all sorts of non-strategy gamers to that by force over the last week. And they're everybody's totally digging it up, and that's just one of however many dozen Matrix games titles I probably won't get enough time to play this year. And then you know, forget tossing Paradox onto the mix, right? So right, there's a right. there's an incredible amount of really solid strategy coming out of you know One C and Paradox and Matrix. Now all of it's very niche, or most of it today has been very niche, and I get that. Um, but it seems like a really small leap to make from something like Panzer Corps to a true resurgence of that. I mean, you, you took something like Panzer Corps and you put it on an 
iPad, they'd sell, I'm guessing, a billion times more copies than the Yeah, as I've been, as I've been playing it, that's that's all I can think of. It's like I mean this thing would just this thing would own on on an iPad. And I guess this this brings up another point. Certainly we've touched on it before in the show, is a tendency for a lot of strategy games, a lot of PC strategy games, to have to be too complicated for their own good. Uh, you know, you need the full resources of the of the PC desktop interface, and then you also need you know to have your PDF open and you know prepare to study up. You know, like gallon like of coffee. Studying. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, a game like Panzer Corps uh, again, which is a throwback design, but it's throwing back to something that I mean, my very first column for PC Gamer was about how what a disaster it's been for war games that there's nothing filling the Panzer General slot anymore. You know, something that's very easy to pick up and play, and also very, you know, very easy to control. Everything's sort of very laid out in front of you, and the, you can you can easily perceive the dilemmas in front of you, and then you make your decision and you act on them. Right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't hide important information. It doesn't obscure what you have to do. And it's just a vastly more gateway type game than something like you know certainly starcraft 2 i would say is probably the poster child for mainstream adoption of a strategy mm-hmm. title i mean I, I i'm guessing it's probably the best-selling strategy title of the last couple of years I, I don't really know that but just by i don't know anybody who didn't buy it so i'm just think, basically yeah, based on that's that that's a pretty safe bet right but but that game beyond like once you get past the basics of just sort of slogging your way through the campaign um that game is vastly more complex and more difficult and more intimidating than something like Panzer Corps, which would, by most people, be considered a, a harder core game in terms of the the strategy component of it. That that's an interesting point. It that is because because StarCraft, yeah, it, it has this. In fact, it was the game that most people cited, you know, to to rebut Hartman's point. But yeah, I mean, StarCraft is is totally in this very intimidating vein of oh, RTS. Hugely. You know, it's all about you know, are you good enough to execute on this? Are you really? Well, go online. Oh, look, you suck. You're terrible. You know, like <laughs> go back to Bronze League until you're ready to be a man. Uh, that implies you ever get out of Bronze League. Yeah, that, yeah, and, and the the answer is no. I'm I, I will never be. I will never know the rarefied air in the Silver League. Um, but. You know, something something like uh, Panzer Corps certainly looks more like what we consider a hard, hardcore Grignardian war game, but look how many people you know, you and I know, Julian, that we've you know that we've sort of shown this game, and they're scared of the hexes initially, but the game is so easy and self-explanatory that they take it up, and in fact, it brings a lot of it brings a lot of the same things to the table that a lot of our friends love about uh, you know good board games. I think that's the other thing. You know, I, I think that strategy has moved, right? And it's moved, I, you know, strategy was originally on the PC, frankly, because it was the only place to play things, right? And it didn't move much off the PC, right? I mean, there weren't any, there have been obviously some breakout titles on other platforms, whether it's, you know, Advance Wars on the DS or Jean d'Arc on the PSP, which is still one of my favorite tactical strategy games of all time. I mean, on the PSP, um, you know, there are breakouts, but for the most part, strategy has remained a PC-focused thing. Um, and I, th- I really still think that some of this has to do with interface, right? Part of the reason why strategy, where you're moving units around that traditional form of strategy, not in a more abstract sense, 
um, works on the PC is because it's all about selection and movement and understanding, you know, the role of a lot of different things going on at once. You can't do that with it. I just don't think you can do that as well in any kind of console environment. And finally, we now have mobile devices that are basically doing what the PC has always done. And so I think we're right. seeing we're seeing strategy games having moved from that. Right. And strategy games just generally don't require the bells and whistles and the bells and whistles cost all that money. And that's why you right. have, you know, you have to have a game with sort of Starcraft two level production values to justify the AAA budget. But I would argue that there's not much about the gameplay of Starcraft two that requires the AAA budget. It's all the crap around it. Well, that makes me wonder then, uh, let me throw this out there. Are we the problem then? <laughs> I'm sure you know? we're the problem. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's like a lot of times people say, you know, oh, what happened to the adventure game genre? You know, is it dead? And it's too bad because I loved it and all that. But I'm like, wait a minute. There are so many great adventure games out there right now. But, you know, there, there are games like Loom and the Dream Machine. If you go look these up, people are doing amazing things. They're making adventure games out of cardboard and clay and stop-motion animation with great script, interesting stories. They're out there, but they've just, you know, they're no longer the AAA blockbusters that we were once used to, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago as gamers. So are we just expecting... Are we just missing the, the time when, when these strategy games were the marquee titles? And meanwhile, um, not gi giving short shrift to games like Panzer Corps and, uh, and sort of eliding the fact that Age of Empires Online, I think, is going to be really huge. Yeah, I mean... It, so are I, we just being whiny? I, th I think to some extent we're being whiny, but I think the other thing is I think the industry hasn't quite caught up to the game designs that match the way strategy games work right now i, I think mm -hmm. and, and that was a very inelegant way of saying i don't think that you know our our, our team right like our strategy team that's out there in the woods fighting the battle for us right we've got Storin johnson and we've got sid meyer we've got brian reynolds we've got these guys in the trenches figuring out the future for us they haven't quite figured it out yet now mm -hmm. i think they're going to but i don't think they've quite figured it out yet from what i've seen so far of of you know Civ World and 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 uh, and in the meantime we remember the days when they were dropping things like Civ Four on us or you know Rise of Nations exactly and you know I mean that's what we miss it's not just the status but we also right. remember the days when we had you know this sort of rich you know vibrant ecosystem of strategy games from top flight developers and there are times I you know. I, if if this topic had arisen on a different week you know maybe a few months ago. I think I would have been much angrier, much more bitter, much less optimistic. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, it's catching me at a moment where I'm, you know, really completely happy with the state of with the state of the uh, strategy universe. But you know, I think if you'd asked me, you know, some time ago, you know, I definitely, I definitely would have said that one of one of the things we'd lost is that a lot of the best designers, you know, had had basically quit the genre. Uh, a lot of the best studios really weren't turning out new ideas. And the nicheification of strategy games was really was really unfortunate, you know, because Matrix just released Panzer Corps, but if you look at the rest of their catalog, rather a lot of that is like simulation, like military science level mm -hmm. uh, war games that, you know, is just frankly, and I love these games, is frankly more than I want to deal with most of the time. I, I was I, I would have worried that you know the same the same thing was sort of happening as kind of ended up happening to flight sims where 
you know, if you look back at the early 90s, there were a lot of good intermediate flight sims where they were realistic enough to sort of give you the sense of, you know, flight, but you didn't have to, like, you know, study a training manual for, right. you mm-hmm. know, 375 pages. Uh, you know, there's Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe and the Jane's Apache Longbow series. Now, I mean, you can here's your choice. You know, you can play Dogfighter, you know, an arcade shooter, uh, or you can play Rise of Flight or DCS Black Shark. Uh, you know, which are basic. You know, which are very serious sims, and that that's what I that's what I would have been worried about months ago. You know, months ago is that we were being given a choice between, say, you know, Facebook level strategy, you know, and, and then a few mainstream RTSs, and then these really detail oriented, uh, you know, hardcore Grognardi experiences. Maybe, so there is there is a huge gap there, and wh- how do you who's going to fill it? You know, I think it's being filled. I, I think I think I mean you know Logan I'm going to steal this idea from you and use it now and call it mine forever. But I think you're right. I think we're in this refractory period, right? Where mm-hmm. you know we we had the sort of last blush of traditional strategy games, and then all of a sudden the whole world changed, and now we're we're kind of in this breather where we're trying to figure out how it's all right. going to work. And the stuff that's stepping into the gap is really exciting. I mean. You know, stuff like Frozen Synapse and the stuff that Introversion does. I mean, oh God, I dig that stuff, right? And it's right. just a matter right. of those guys getting enough traction that they don't go out of business and, and you know, can can find out all these other platforms. But, but man, I tell you, between the support of, of the PC gaming world and, and you know, the, the shortcuts that things like Steam give a developer, I, I think that the smaller second-tier developer, if we want to call them that, whether it's the the paradoxes matrix is one C's of the world or whether it's the really truly small shop shops like mode seven. Um, I, you know, I, I have a feeling they're going to be able to make it work. Right. We're some of the best strategy games we've played in the last couple of years have been, uh, you know, stuff that's been done by one guy. I mean, six gun saga or Armageddon empires. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I want to quote one of our listeners here. Uh, just, I just found the tweet, you know, he sent this to me uh, when this quote first dropped uh, but he said, you know, as far as strategy, this is from Alistair Clark, uh, strategy games not contemporary, they're not. The guy didn't express himself well, but he's right. It's the same way that jazz isn't. Uh, and I think that that's a very good analogy. I mean, going back to what, what you said about, you know, if you, put, if you put Ray Charles on in a bar, Logan, right. uh, you know, it's never, it's never out of place. I think to an extent we could, we could turn it around and say, you know, there, there are a lot of things frustrating about the current landscape, you know, li- being in this, you know, factory period, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Makes me sound like I'm trapped in a game of robo-rally. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry. Um, at the same time, though, uh, th- there's, a, there's a lot to be said for now occupying what is a healthy and, I think, you know, getting healthier niche. Uh, where, where we're seeing a, a lot of a lot of fun ideas, you know, from st- from teams of various sizes, uh, you know, games being targeted at different levels of expertise, from like Gary Grigsby's War in the East, down to something like Panzer Corps or uh, you know Longbow's, um, you know, Hegemony Wars of Ancient Greece. There's a lot of things to be happy about, and in fact, you know, one thing I, you know we might be somewhat protected from is the tendency for 
you know, the, the business of AAA production to grab any new idea and just run it into the friggin' ground. Right. You know, like, right. hey, congratulations, developer, on having a good idea. Now <laughs> prepare to spend the rest of your career iterating on that one good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, dangle the carrot. You know, maybe we'll let you have another good idea someday, and that day will never arrive. Right. And uh, uh, sometimes if somebody steps just a little bit, you know, beyond... Uh, and tries a little bit of experimentation. If anything goes wrong, oh boy, you know, everybody withdraws. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is like Tim Schafer's Brutal Legend, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, RTS on the con. Oh gosh, you know, and we know what happened to that. And you can just imagine anybody trying to pitch an RTS on the console from now on with that sort of lighthearted touch. Oh, don't you touch it. Yeah, right. But, he, but then, but then he, the. He, he, I, my sense is he kind of snuck that in. I mean, I always got the sense when I, when I talked to Tim about that game ahead of time, like he never talked about how it was a strategy game. But right, just like, right. It's like never came up. It's like, oh, it's heavy metal. It's Jack Black. And you can run things right. over with your car. And, you know, and it's sort of like they snuck an RTS in. I really thought it was a brawler with with uh, heavy metal. That's that's really what I thought until day it, one. And, and, uh, well, and sometimes it was. But, but at the same time, though, I mean, the punchline to that story is, so what does Tim Schafer do next after the game underperforms and EA walks away from more brutal legend games? Mm-hmm. You know, his fingers have been burned. You know, uh, Double Fine turns around and basically abandons the entire AAA model and starts turning to junior members of the team and saying, "So, what do you got? What I, you know, what idea are we going to work on? You know, this quarter." And you get stuff like Trenched, you know, which is kind, you know, you know, a, a bit of a tower defense, you know, mech combat game. Nobody else would make that, but well, you know, in this, in the, in the kind of like in the in the new model, Double Fine is chosen. Uh, where they're allowed to basically run with the weird ideas, and Double Fine's a place that has a lot of weird ideas. Uh, they're making this work. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I come hope on. They keep Costume it up. Quest, stacked, trenched. It's amazing. They're, they're, uh, for all the, the things he, he's done in the past, for all the wonderful work he's done, he's still at the top of his game. And you're right. He, they, what did they do? They turned it around. They, they, they said, oh, the AAA, you know, fuck that. They, they're making these beautiful, charming, involving, engaging games that feel personal. And I, I'm, isn't that what we were just asking for about a half an hour ago? Yeah. Like, isn't that we were that was that we were advocating that? And at the same time, here's some guy doing it, and, and we only just arrive at that now. It's amazing. Well, I think it's it's also worth pointing out that you know, 2K might say it wants to be the Miramax, but even if even if the uh, platform holders, you know, indie sales don't do as well necessarily as they might do on Steam, they're at least creating spaces for smaller titles, for, right. for lower profile titles that major publishers simply aren't. And so the you know the custodianship, the, the job of really taking care of these of these smaller smaller titles is increasingly falling to platform holders or uh, you know institutions like Penny Arcade, you know where you know. They, they go out and they look for stuff they can highlight on the show floor and raise its profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, the publishers aren't looking, but it's, you know, it, that, that responsibility is devolved on other groups. And it's, you know, it's working out pretty well, I'd say. I have a feeling that, I mean, I, I, I have to own a certain amount of culpability here. Because if the feeling is, is that strategy games aren't getting their due, then that is also a failure on my part as EIC of PC Gamer Magazine. 
we should be going out there seeking these things. Why aren't we giving them more attention? Why aren't we promoting them more? Why aren't we helping independent developers more? Why aren't we reaching out? You got you got to hire gamer? a better core strategy writer. That's your big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Drop dead, Julian. <laughs> well, that's part of it. You know, I mean, that's part of why we have Rob is because you know we are committed to the genre. Um, but we have to do more. We always, always have to do more. And one thing that drives me crazy, it just makes me feel like I'm, uh, you know, I, I'd rather swallow ground glass is that uh, a lot of times indie developers never think to come to us and, and say, you know, well, we could use some help, you know, getting our name out there and getting exposure. And uh, I always find myself running after going, yeah, we can help, you know, we can help you. And uh so I just, I want to put that word out there. You know, if you're developing a strategy game or if you, you're enjoying one that we haven't covered, let me know. My, you know, Logan at PCGamer.com. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and that's something I should... part of our charter. It's right at the heart of it. I, I should chime in there too. I mean, since I took over three moves ahead, I've been getting so many more emails from, develop, you know, indie developers, you know, ask me to take a look at their games. And the problem I run into is I keep a pretty busy review schedule. It's very hard you know, to find, to fit in time for just, like, play gaming and then work gaming and then having any kind of life. It's hard to fit all that in, but I, I love hearing from developers, and I wish, you know, I wish I could do more. I wish I could always be better about responding and, and you know, taking a look at the preview codes I get. Um, and it's something I will try to do better in the future. Uh, just, just a brief aside here, you know, I mean, I'm working on a review of Vertex Dispenser uh, for PC Gamer this week. Uh, it's a, you know, one-man indie RTS uh, puzzle strategy game. It, and it's exactly as confusing a hybrid as it sounds. It's very cool. Uh, but, but the interesting thing about this one was I didn't hear about it from the developer. I heard about it from uh, Darius Kazimi, a, you know, listener, uh, a 3MA listener here in uh, the Boston area. I heard it about from him, who'd seen it at the IGF, you know, at the, at the IGF Awards, and absolutely adored it. And he, you know, called my attention to it. And I think... That's one other thing I find really effective is when, you know, I get used to getting emails from developers. What really catches my attention is when somebody else in the development community takes the time to say, no, everyone should check out this person's game. Right. Uh, you know, that's right. sort of, yeah. that, right. that catch, that, that's much more eye-catching, I think, than just hearing about, you know, here we've got a game coming out. Someone who has no interest in it saying, you know, this is something we should, we should give some time to. Uh, it's, you know, that's exciting. It's funny. Um, I do. I do actually find a lot of games just based on um, what readers refer me to. It's amazing. So I mean, that's. I guess. I guess to to wrap it up. I mean, ultimately, we're in, we're in charge of the health of this of this of the genre. You know. I mean. You know. One of the, again. One of the advantages of sort of being a smaller niche is you can have a real sense of community. You can talk to each other and lead each other to good things and. Really, it's it's a question then of using that to our advantage to raise great projects to a higher profile. And you know, once again, Logan at PCGamer.com. <laughs> let me know. Just write me. You can also write letters at PCGamer.com as well. We rely on that kind of feedback, and you know, the more we hear about it, the more we can do about it. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Logan Decker, uh, and you can tweet me there. Um, I want. I'm. Are, you know, we can't respond to every email, of course, but we read every single one, every single tweet, every single e email. It's the only way we can survive, you know, is by being responsive, you know, and listening and picking up on everything that's exciting. And there is so much exciting stuff out there. 
In just a moment, I would like Julian and Logan to tell me what game they would send Christoph Hartman to make him reconsider his dismissal of strategy games. But first, our thanks to Michael Hermes for producing this episode and to Logan Decker for joining us tonight. We will select the winner of last week's contest when this episode goes live, so if you haven't entered yet, well, I guess it's too late, isn't it? I hope you've all learned a valuable lesson about getting backlogged on podcasts and not listening to your 3MA as soon as it drops. As usual, if you enjoyed this episode of 3MA, please remember to share and retweet it. Recent episodes have generated a lot of great discussion and some very nice emails from many of you listening, and I would hope you would recommend this show to other gamers who you think might be interested. Now, gentlemen, envision this. A box arrives on Christoph Hartman's desk. It does not appear to be ticking. It is from 3MA. What game is inside it? Oh. That's brutal. I say Xenonauts, you know? Because, okay, he opens this box, and, oh, look! Somebody's already done it! This is fantastic! We will buy them! We will bring them into our homes, put them on our comfy little couches, feed them nice foods like shepherd's pie, give them lots of uh, Arnold, Arnold Palmer's. Isn't that iced tea and lemonade, right? <laughs> yep. And yes, we will keep them happy, and then we will say, what can you do with this fantastic property we've got? Look what you've done already without our support. That's what I would do. Uh, Julian? I, I, I'm going to go with frozen synapse. Um, and, and, and that's a controversial one to do because maybe that would just prove his point more. I don't know. Um, but it's one of the few games that I played this year that's done something really different and interesting. And I know it's sort of this year because we were playing the beta last year, but, um, I mean, that's fresh and beautiful and well-designed and sounds great. And I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the stodgy quality of, you know, giving him a copy of Panzer Corps. For me, I think I would send Men of War Assault Squad. Uh, as esoteric as the interface might be, the hook is really clear there. I mean, every every day on Twitter, I see people talking about Battlefield Bad Company, you know, how these incredible, you know, epic battles, the, you know, mind-boggling destruction in that game. And, you know, if you play Men of War Assault Squad, it's all pretty ho-hum, if we're being quite honest. Like, I mean, that, that game is so spectacular. It is, you know such a perfect game for this era of you know co-op play and you know people really investing yes, in multiplayer sure. gaming and i think it would be so easy for someone to look at a game like that and say you know with a little bit of spit and polish there could be something here there could be a blockbuster here of course there already is uh but it took a russian publisher to discover it and make it and right. maybe there's the lesson for hartman all right gentlemen thank you for joining me for just an absolute blast of a discussion. Uh, Logan, you are welcome back anytime. And not just because you pay my fan- checks. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. Um, I had a fantastic time. I would love to be back anytime. It was a pleasure meeting you too. A pleasure to meet you as well. You know, I do want to um, say one thing about Frozen, Frozen Synapse. And it just sort of tickled something in my brain, which was that in a sense, it's... I know this is really uppity for me to say, but in a sense, I kind of like the barrier to entry that some strategy games have because it's like when you learn a musical instrument there's you get frustrated you practice and you try to do this riff over and over and over again and it's so hard and you don't get it and it doesn't sound right and then all of a sudden just something changes and you break through and you get it it's like you get the scale you get your vocabulary expands you know what i mean and once you break through that little barrier it's exhilarating 
you know, and there's a there's a time when I was picking up on Frozen Synapse when I just started to get the game. And that makes me like uh, it just makes me so attached to it, to that name, to, to the idea of the game. That's and that's something you can't you cannot do by throwing money at a game. You cannot in, uh, get that kind of feeling with uh, with just cash. You know what I mean? With yeah. with assets or and in fact, the more the more money you throw at it, the more hesitant you'll be to create something. Absolutely, that, has that barrier that Absolutely. delayed gratification. Sure. So yeah, boy, that was whew. Thank you. That was exhilarating. <laughs> 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 All right. Say good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Other people are feeling that I'm archaic because I got this letter today. I shit you not. Dear Logan, dude, you've got to 86 that gray. Saw your pics in the latest PC Gamer and I knew I had to come to the rescue. I founded Blackbeard for Men because I too have gray in my beard and work in an industry where vid youth is valued. Movies. I developed this formula with a Hollywood makeup artist and cosmetics company. It's basically a long-wearing type of mascara specifically formulated for men's coarse beard hair. And it is called Blackbeard for Men. That's beautiful. Oh, that I sounds not... like the manliest product ever. Exactly, exactly. Blackbeard it's not, for it's men. It's not mascara. It's Blackbeard for Men, bitch.